And the idea was build the next generation of a chocolate bar, but build a brand that's culturally relevant to today's world and the consumers today. And that meant using storytelling to build fans, like actually building a community based on emotional connection while giving them an innovative product that they actually want that they don't know of. That It was a mix of two things. Product market fit meets great storytelling can lead to slow success over time. And I say foundational success, not just, hey, let's hype it up like that. And then everything just falls down. Welcome back to another episode of Chew On This. This one's, this one's really special because we, uh, we typically don't have all three of us here on an episode. And for uh, just, just for you though, <laughs> um, the chief rainmaker, Forbes 30 under 30. You've probably seen him on every single social media platform. If you don't know his brand, you definitely know him. Jake Carl's Midday Squares, welcome. Wow, that was an actual intro. That was fucking good. <laughs> well, I'm pumped that I got the three of you in one room. This is gonna, this is gonna be an interesting conversation. No, I'm pumped to be here, and uh, I think we're gonna get deep today. I think it's gonna be fun. So thank you for having me, boys. Absolutely oh, we're excited. Super pumped to have you. Um, but give give the audience the, the few people that maybe don't know a little bit about you, what you're up to, and uh, what's what's next. So I like to tell people I'm a class clown, um, and I, I've been that way my whole life. And I think I think when you stay true to who you are, um, it shines in whatever you do. So, you know, Midday Squares is one of the companies that I co-founded with my partners, my brother-in-law and my sister. So it's a family business. We didn't go into business together because it's family. We actually have very different skill sets. And the class clown is my skill set. And what I mean by that is it's like a hype character, and it's like this idea of business development in corporate terms, but I go out there and I just build relationships. I make friends with people and then eventually my teams actually need people that they were gonna work with, whether it's a retailer, whether it's a journalist, whether it's a new investor, and I bring them that relationship, but the relationship is already warm at that point. So my, the, whoever the person is, is they already are intentionally wanting to work with us. Rather than my team reaching out to, hey, hey, hey Target, let's go do business, it's a lot harder that way, right? right. So I will build that relationship with the Target buyer a lot before without the intention of, sorry, setting the intention to actually get in there. My idea is make the friend. When you do that, you create that emotional connection. And then the time's right, we'll set up that time. So that's my job. I travel the world. I make noise. I, I go by a rainmaker, uh, modern day Willy Wonka. <laughs> we own a chocolate company and yeah, we're having fun. So I think that's the most important. I think one, one thing that'd be really cool to jump into though is, um, sometimes people don't even realize how innovative the product you guys created, right? Because you're obviously talking about where you're, where you're launching and, 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 and how you've built relationships and how fast the brand is growing, which we'll get into. But just talk about the product for a second. Who came up with this? What is, what is a midday square and why is it important for you guys? Great question. So my sister is the creator, um, Leslie Carls. I love her. Um, we don't agree on a lot of things, but we do agree on midday squares. Uh, so she was making this snack, this chocolate snack, earlier, like two, two and a half years before midday squares even launched. And it was for her husband, Nick, my brother-in-law, who's my partner as well. And he was a diehard chocolate lover. He still is a diehard chocolate lover, but he would eat like Hershey bars or sometimes lint at like 2 p.m. every day. And his afternoon would actually get like a crash after that. He'd be tired. He'd be like the sugary items. He'd get that exhaustion and kind of like not be full. You eat more. So my sister being a foodie at the time, and she is a foodie now, she would go and be like, hey, I can make you something cleaner, something healthier that's still indulgent, but has some sort of functions of protein, some plant-based ingredients, clean foods. And she made that for two and a half years for him and his team. And he was at a software company before and they loved it. They freaked. And in 2018, they decided to commercialize this product. And one day, my brother-in-law read a report from a large conglomerate in Canada. And it said that dark chocolate was growing year over year very fast and that vegan proteins were also growing year over year very quickly. So my brother-in-law in his head, being a data guy, was like, 
<clears throat> oh my God, we're going to have product market fit because there's these two massive growth categories. We can make a baby with these two things. And that's when they came to me and they're like, yo, we need a guy to make noise and build the brand. Food and beverage is an extremely hard industry. It's extremely hard to gain space in retailers. It's extremely hard to sell through. And it's extremely hard to get the consumer's attention. And that's what I'm good at. So I was like, at the time, my ex-girlfriend broke up with me and I was kind of depressed, not going to lie. <laughs> she canned me after four years, could you imagine? Jesus. She missed the boat. No, I'm <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She's a good person. <laughs> but I just got married to somebody else. Like, I'm a, I'm a, um, so anyway, so I, jo I joined. <laughs> she's on the boat. She's on the boat. She's on the, she's on the, the boat. She's on the, hopefully this is, a, this is a huge cruise ship, right? <laughs> but, um, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then we came together, the three of us launched the company August 4th, 2018. And the idea was build the next generation of a chocolate bar, but build a brand that's culturally relevant to today's world and the consumers today. And that meant using storytelling to build fans, like actually building a community based on emotional connection while giving them an innovative product that they actually want that they don't know of. It was a mix of two things. Product market fit meets great storytelling can lead to slow success over time. And I say foundational success, not just, hey, let's hype it up like that. And then everything just falls down. No, that's awesome. So like you and your your two co-founders, you said you all had three different skill sets. Can you explain that? Yeah, so they're, they're currently co-CEOing okay. and um, they are introverts, I'm extroverted. So that right there is, is a good balance. Yeah. But they, my brother-in-law is a software engineer by trade and he loves data. So he loves running the company on more of like, hey, this is the data we're gonna function with, here's how we're gonna function, that's the decision we're gonna make. My sister is a badass executor, so she's really good with hard conversations, executing vision, and building manufacturing. She's been in manufacturing her whole life. She had a fashion company before this, she had a, um, she worked, tried to build a hotel, like she did crazy wow. shit, failed at each one, but, <laughs> but she didn't fail in the good, a bad way, she failed and learned and built more, right? So. She actually built our factory and worked so hard to do that. And then my skill set was building a community. So when you put all three together, it actually eats a, equals like a tripod, a strong tripod where it's foundationally strong. And we don't really cross each other's skill sets. So what I'm good at, they're bad at. What they're bad at, I'm what, sorry, what I'm bad at, they're good at. And we trust each other deeply what, what we do. But the key to that trust was we go to see therapy once a week in good or bad times since day one, August 4, 2018. I think our first session was August 10th. And the idea was we work to get aligned with each other, understand each other, have hard conversations and build a trust that continuously gets stronger and stronger and stronger through deep communication. And we go in the best times possible. And trust me, sometimes you don't wanna to go to a two hour therapy session in, on a Tuesday morning when things are so good. But, yeah. but we do it because we commit to the partnership and we commit to the vision of building the day squares. Otherwise we would have killed each other. So we might need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I can give you his number. <laughs> when, you, when you talk about building community, right? Is, is that synonymous with saying like, okay, you guys have to build an audience for, yes. the, for the brand? I like to say instead of customers, build fans. Right. And I think community is all about fandom. It's people that relate to something and, and want to be part of something together. And how we do it specifically is obviously deliver a good product. I think that's, that you, you should have that as a standard, right? But I think the second thing that you want to do is make somebody feel something deeply about your brand. And the moment they feel something, they're creating an emotion. And that emotion can be categorized as angry, sad, happy, motivational, aspirational, whatever it is. But they're part of your journey. And the journey is that we're building this business and we want to show people that you could build a business by truly being unapologetically yourself. So not following the typical CPG playbook, but hey, take this playbook and say, we're going to go this way when everyone's going that way. It might not work, but we're taking the fucking risk. And mm -hmm. 
it's an unaverage decision. And usually when you do an unaverage decision, you have an unaverage outcome, right? Good or bad, but at least it's not average. Right. So like when it. you guys were building, so I guess what comes <clears throat> first, right? Does, does community come first or does like almost product have to come first? Product. You need a good product first and then community comes second. And I think you need to simultaneously build them to be both really efficient. I think at the beginning, you should, your product shouldn't be perfect, but it should be, there should be product market fit. Because if you don't have that, what are you doing? You're a marketing engine, you're pumping, dumping. I think the key to the whole game is have a good product, tick. Once you have that, figure a way that your consumers, how you can grab your consumer's attention without having to buy it. Buying attention is not necessarily real. It doesn't last that long. You, you're paying for the ad, it gets in their face, and then they sometimes just look at it and be like, I don't even know what that is. Sweep on next, move on. I think what we do really well is build organic content that actually relates, and then we get people down a rabbit hole. When we get them down the rabbit hole, it doesn't talk about the product of midday squares. Like you said before, people know how much innovation it is. It's because they're looking at this drama and they're like, hey, these people are human. They're real. What do they do? These are whack jobs. I can relate to one of them or I, I, I feel something from this. I want to know more. The moment they want to know more, they see more. They either get to like us or dislike us. They're not going to be average about it. But eventually, if they like us, they're going to go to Target or they're going to go to Whole Foods or Sprouts or whatever and go to the shelf and be like, shit, I know that brand. I love them. Mm. I just saw them on TikTok and I freaked when they, they showed their therapy session. I go to therapy. So that's community. And I think the community allows you to scale really big in terms of customer base, but I think you can't continue to grow without having a great product. It's powerful. Um, you, you, you touched on a lot of growth. Uh, I, I think it'd be pretty, it, it'd be pretty awesome to kind of share a little bit about that. Like you're, I think you're hitting what probably gonna have 30 million this year in revenue coming off a $15 million a year. Um, and what was your biggest driving channel? I, I don't even think it is paid advertising. No. So um, it's, is, it, is it the Rainmaker? <laughs> no, I will. Listen, the Rainmaker has a good return on investment. Because I guess those big retailers you see that we're in, that's from the Rainmaker. That ain't from our sales team. I love our sales team. No, they're, they're, it's an engineer, so he's not even a sales guy. But um, yeah, no, dude, I think the, the, the mass volume is coming from retail. So 70% of our business is at like, you know, stores like Target, Whole Foods, Sprouts, you know, Fresh Time, a lot of those great stores, and then a bunch in Canada. It's 30% D2C, you know, year one we did, we were 100% D2C in our first three months and we did about a million dollars in our first year. Our second year we went from to 3 million, 3 million to 9 million, 8.9 million it was. Then we did last year, we did 15.1 million and then this year we'll do 30. So, Same. but I think the hard part about our growth is we don't co-man our product. We don't co-manufacture, for those who don't know what that is, it's basically you third-party manufacture. And, when we built our factory, we couldn't grow faster. We weren't able, so even if we want to do performance marketing, which is a great, listen, it's a great tool to have, and if you're good at it, then congrats. Like, you'll be able to sell a shit ton of product. But we couldn't push it further because our factory wasn't prepared to deal with the growth. So meaning that our margins weren't at the right pace. So if they're not at the right pace and you grow, let's say we went to 100 million, but we're burning $100 million, that isn't a business. That's not a successful business, because what if I turn the faucet off? Mm. What happens? Do you go back down to 50 and then you're still burning the, you know, you're still burning 50, 60 million. So what we said was, what if we grew 50 to 100% year over year? So it's a lot of growth, but stay at a low 50, 40 to 50 and at a high 100, not more than that. If we continue that, then we'll be able to get our margin and our operations into intact while our brand keeps growing. So that was the fine art throughout the time that I think was the hardest thing in the entire business was not trying to take on like a Costco, for example, or a Walmart or something like massive volume and not expending on performance marketing like crazy because if we did, 
all we would have done was go lose our balance sheet would have been at zero way faster right so and we had to raise more money and do things like that dilute our equity or get take on debt and i think that's fine for a lot of businesses but we didn't want to be a business that's one of those that are doing 100 million at scale or 200 million and still losing money mm -hmm. we said can we build a foundationally strong business that actually has the right margin has operational excellence and is profitable will be profitable in hopefully three four months Wow, it's amazing. <clears throat> Took and, five years. <laughs> and, 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 and to touch on that retail piece, right? I think you kind of, I, I still feel like you, you say it too casually, like, yeah, we're in Target, we're in Whole Foods, but like that, that <laughs> journey to that, um, you know, uh, we're, we're launching in Walmart um, this month. I snap for good for good vibes. <laughs> That's a big win. It, it, but it's like, it's crazy. It took, you know, four plus years to even knock that door. Um, what was kind of your first store and then how did it get into a Target and Whole Foods? Oh, I love this story. So first of all, congrats guys, that's huge. Thank like you. Walmart's Appreciate a great you. retailer and y'all are gonna absolutely fly. That's first off. But so our retail journey began with a bagel shop um, in our local community of Montreal, Canada. It was a family friend actually and he's looked at us and unfortunately the bagel shop doesn't exist anymore, which is so sad. But he looked at us and we were D2C business at the time only and we were selling the bars for 25 cents a bar as a sample. So we were hand delivering product, we were losing so much money. But people <laughs> loved us because they saw the humanization of the brand. They're like, these, cre these crazy three hustlers are crazy and they just want to win so badly, but they're good people. So he's like, I'll give you a chance. I'll buy your product, I won't even go on consignment. I'll buy three boxes of each. So we had one, no, sorry, one, it was one flavor. We only had our fudge at the time, which is now called brownie batter. But we had one flavor, we bought three boxes, he stacked them. He said, I'll give you a chance and I'll pay you up front. So I was like, wow, whoa, this is crazy. Went there, from that moment on, we went to salad bars, juice bars, gyms. It was all food service at first in like, in the idea because we couldn't get into retail at like grocery retail and then we went to our local little corner shops that were like natural little corner shops and what we would do is follow influencers that were local community influencers in montreal where they shopped and we'd say okay they go to this mat so this smart. salad bar this grocery store that gym this spa and we'd put the bars there why because those people would then see it and be like this lifestyle that these influencers are posting, a lot of their community will be going to that same lifestyle. They'll think that we're a huge company because we're everywhere, mm -hmm. but we're not everywhere. We're in local little areas. So we did that and it started working. Wow. Then we got a chance with this one retailer and I'm so grateful for them. Um, we're very close to them. They're actually have one of our top performing stores still to date. It's called Marche Tao. And it's like basically a mini Whole Foods, but it's only got eight stores in our region or six stores in our region. And they are like the local Whole Foods, let's call it. And they gave us a chance and he took one skew in. They usually never take one product, one skew. He gave us one spot, then he's like, he said, screw it to seems like, let's give them four spacings in the shelf. So four and then stack. And I was like, wow, this guy's giving us a real chance. We didn't pay for that. This is just a guy that believes in us, another entrepreneur. No nothing. Yeah, nothing. Just an entrepreneur that says, you guys are hustling. I want to give you a chance. You have an organic, clean product. And he pushed the product. Dude, we went from, we were crushing it there. That led to everything. That basically spread the wildfire that went into other local whole food like stores then to mass groceries that wanted to hold us in our region and the national and we still did the city by city approach of kind of going like local shop bagel shop coffee shop gym follow the influencer but eventually once we did Van toronto and then we did vancouver we got an opportunity with air one in the u.s and that kind of led to the gates opening up and that gates was basically air one took a chance sprout saw it sprouts wanted it then they took us national and, and so are most of these like inbound? Like, oh, a lot we of it's saw inbound. you here. Wow. And I think the strategy that I always share with people is one simple thing. Build out loud. 
Elon Musk builds out loud. And what that means is he just shares his journey and unapologetically who he is. So people either love this guy or hate him. I love him personally because I'm inspired by him. But think about it. He's Tesla's marketing engine. He doesn't have to do anything. Hundreds of millions of views later, they get their, their story across. They get in the news. They're in the cycle. So I took that strategy and I didn't become like Elon. I'm very different than Elon, but obviously I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a genius like that. But, but I am a weirdo different ways. But we shared our story on LinkedIn, on Instagram, now TikTok, obviously, on, on, on Facebook a little bit. And what that did was it got retailers to see this brand. They're like, you guys are so different than all of our food and beverage companies in our stores. We want this energy in the store. So the inbound would come in. The only outbound that we did was, I think it was Walmart Canada. And we reached out, we really wanted to be pushed in there. And we did get it, but she's like, yeah, I see your stuff all the time. I love it, the energy of your brand. It's so cool, can we do content together? And I think that that's where content and building out loud is an advantage for anyone that actually is good at it. Because if you're good at it, you're gonna get attention. How we raised our capital? Through building out loud. How we got into media, all this media? Build out loud. How we got into retail? Build out loud. So how much more can I give you as a, whether it's you or other entrepreneurs, to then try to start building out. And I'm not saying do what Midday Squares is doing where we show therapy sessions, breakdowns, legal battles, milestones, but find what's authentic to you or you that's listening and build from there. It could be that your sports drink and you're all about sports. Tell your story about sports. Because the more authentic you are, the more relatable it is and the more trust builds and the more people are talking. So that's how we got into retail and then that led to Target, that led to all these things and hopefully Walmart one day in the US and hopefully Costco. Um, but again, I think there's a lot more to retail strategy, but from a standpoint of inbound and getting in, it was all that. The other side was all data and, and actual execution at store level. So as far as like when you guys film, it, it, are any of you apprehensive? Like I know you're an extrovert, so you're, you're down with it, but you said the other two are introverts. How do you get them to be okay with being that open? We had a weird deal at the beginning. So think about it, this filming is not new. It's from day one, August 4th, the cameras came out. We would take our iPhone out and we would self film and raw post, like literally just whatever happened. Like if we were talking right now, like in this, po in this podcast, obviously we didn't have the podcast then, but I would take the camera out, show it, and then just post the moment yeah. that happened. It was very unfiltered raw. People loved that. But the problem with that was my attention had to be on always taking the camera out. And like, you're in the middle of an argument with your family. <laughs> imagine this, imagine this, we're talking right Wait, now. Guys. Hold up, hey, hold, like, up like, hold up, hold up, okay. Nobody it, move. It, it would actually make us all laugh and really break the fight up, but yeah. still, it was too complex. So one of our first hires was actually a videographer, not a food scientist. So it was an interesting gig that we played, but my sister and brother-in-law are introverts. And at first telling them to film was, they thought I was out of my mind, but I said to them, you brought me on as the third partner to do exactly this, right. to give you a strategy that will set us apart to a certain extent and build community, authentic community. And at first they're like, we're not doing this. And I was like, well, then I'm done. I'm not doing this either. And then the second thing was they finally accepted and said, just give us patience though. So we'll take a lot of takes because my sister didn't like the way she looked. My brother-in-law thought he was embarrassing. So they didn't want to film it. So they keep taking, taking, it was getting frustrating. It was yeah. like, imagine take two, take three, take four of an authentic situation, but then you got to kind of reenact it to a certain extent. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Then they said to me, fine, we'll do it. We'll commit three months to fully going. And if it doesn't work, we're done with the, the reality show shit, like <laughs> stupidity. Yeah. I said, okay, good, let's do this. Let's, let's fire the engines, let's be bold. But then they said, you have to do one thing too. And I said, well, what's, this, what's the story? What's the, what's the hidden subject now? They go, you have to come to therapy 
once a week. Okay. And I said to them, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I am the happiest guy in the game for tournament, <laughs> hockey, competitive sports, jacked at the time, not jacked. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be way more jacked. But I had a fitness business, you know? But I said to them, I'm the happiest dude in the world. What are you talking about? And they said, so then you're not joining the company. So I said, you're gonna throw the whole thing away, this whole, this whole beautiful thing that we're about to do for therapy. And I said, I'll go to one session. Then I'll say, I'll go to two. And then they're like, no, you'll go to five. Five, once a week. So I went to the first session, I'll never forget. This was insane. I sat there, we were in the, think about it. One there, my sister, my brother-in-law, therapist. So safe zone, whatever, in like a library room. Typically what you think on TV is a therapy session. Mm -hmm. And I sit there and the bullets start flying. The, it's like tanks, bro, shooting at me, crit constructive <laughs> criticism from my, my brother-in-law and sister, people I love, but just telling me, this is bad, this is shit, this, you gotta work on this. And it's like it all came out and I started like feeling like I was getting attacked. And, but I felt good because the therapist was there because it was a middle, it was a middle man type of right. thing where he then asked me halfway through, he's like, Jake, do you need to take a break? That's how bad it was. <laughs> and I was like, no, I got this. And I stayed tough and I went to that first session and I felt like shit. I went to the second session, felt a little less shittier. Went to the third session, went, felt a little less shittier. Fifth session, I felt that this was a way for me to personally grow and understand who I am and also understand how to communicate with my two partners in a different format than family. To speak to them like business partners, to understand where they're feeling, what they want. And I've now become a huge advocate for therapy where I go at least wow. twice a week now, That's once insane. myself, once with them. And I spend a lot of money on it. Like, and it's not, it's a luxury. It's a luxury, but it shouldn't be. It should be a, a, a resource that everyone has the availability yeah. to. And maybe one day we could all work on getting that to happen. But for now it's like, I, if I didn't do that, we wouldn't be partners. The business wouldn't exist. And most importantly, I would have I would have choked my sister. Like she's off the fucking wall and, <laughs> and we see things so differently. So yeah. it's like, thank God for that. And I think that at the end of the day, the storytelling component and the therapy that we agreed on that time was probably the most critical things that happened in the business to date. That's two best decisions you guys made. And they're both very expensive. Because yeah. <laughs> we don't just take our iPhone out anymore. You know, like we should just take it out. Now. We, got, we, got, we got cameras all over here, but it's like thousands of dollars of equipment. No. So yeah, that, that, that was how we uh, got the storytelling. And they are still introverts, but yeah. they're comfortable with the camera. It's like a sec it's second nature. It's like it's not around now. Yeah. And I find my sister has become more obsessed with it more and more now. And she loves TikTok, being on TikTok. And I'm more like the LinkedIn guy, more of like Instagram and LinkedIn. I like that, those platforms for myself better. It's more authentic to who I am. But I still create my own content outside of Midday Squares because I still think you need your own voices outside of your brand. I think it's extremely important to become your own thought leader. And the brand is another thought leader. Chew on this is sponsored by one crucial strategy that we just can't ignore as D2C brands, and that's email and SMS. We'll be sending a ton. And guess who's our go-to? We use Sendlane. It's not just another tool. It's a revolution. With real-time segmentation, you're reaching users with precision when you hit send on that email or SMS. The reporting UI, you may ask, it's a breath of fresh air. Simple, straightforward, and gets right to the point. No more sitting through confusing data and random charts you have no idea about what it's saying. And here's the crown jewel, their customer support. Round the clock, weekends, holidays, 24-7, 365, always open like 7-Eleven. No exceptions, they've got your back always. If you want to elevate your email and SMS game and you're tired of what everyone in the industry is used to using, check out Sendlane and see why Sendlane is the name that's buzzing in everyone's ears. Dive in and you'll thank us later. Now, let's get back to the episode. One question I had is like, 
you you look at kind of the the Hershey's, the Mondelez, the Ferrero, um, and like you have midday squares, right? Like it's it's kind of like in parallel. And, and what's really fascinating for us because we had an earlier podcast um, uh, interview with uh, Michael Tierney from Stuff Buffs, oh, cool. who's who's also creating very yep. similar to how you guys are doing vertically integrated um, and and whatnot and building something very innovative. But like I guess the one question that always is like super intriguing is like you're you're going so public in terms of like hey Hershey's I'm coming at you like yeah. I'm coming for you guys um, there's a sense of confidence but there's also a sense of like kind of being a little bit of a lunatic about it right so like how do you find that like courage to say you know what the person who's probably gonna buy me one day <laughs> I'm pretty much calling them out and manifesting it in a, in a different way now it's such an interesting question because you're right it's it's lunatic for sure. Like when, when, when we publicly speak, there's consequences. Yeah. Be very be very aware that we know there's consequences and we're not just acting completely recklessly and saying, let's take a million dollar fine or a million dollar legal battle for the sake of doing it. I think that what we promised ourselves since day one was we are gonna stay true to who we are throughout the journey and what, are, what we believe in we're gonna stand for. Whether it's something very outrageous or something that is completely tiny, we're gonna stand for and we're gonna fight. And I think that what it shows people is that we're ruthless entrepreneurs that have a lot of drive, ambition, and conviction in what we want to do. That has its positives in the sense where you're betting on people that actually can do things and are not willing to give up. The other side of that is it's a liability for certain people. So certain groups have rejected us in terms of funding or wanting to work with us, even retailers, by the way, because of that crazy lunatic behavior. Now, the lunatic behavior is not fake. It's real. It's authentic to who we are. Look, I'm wearing glasses. I'm in an inside room right now. That's that's not, and I wasn't going to take it's them off. Crazy. They told me that. But I asked, by the boys, I asked if I should take them off because the lights, they're like, no, no, you be yourself. It's, it's who you are. But the truth is, is, you're right. Hershey's can look at us and say one, one of two things. You guys are out of your mind and it's a liability and we don't want to be associated with you. And that, that's, that's a buyer off the table if we ever want to sell the company. Mm -hmm. The second thing is they can look at them and say, hey, this is different. This is, this is the future of, of just plowing and not being afraid to plow. And, how, and I always ask people, how do you think that they, Mars, Hershey's, Nestle, Mondelez built their business at the beginning? You don't think that the people that started that company plowed and had to be bold. Sam Walton was a bold guy. Like, you know, you, you look at that and these are figures, obviously social media has changed the game for that to a certain extent, but those are the winners like Elon, Steve Jobs, like, you know, Phil Knight, like they're bold figures, Jeff Bezos, like they're, they're crazy. Obviously they have a different level of wealth and different level of power. <laughs> Maybe we'll get there one day, all of us. <laughs> but, but the truth is, is yeah, it's a risk that we're willing to take. Um, and like I said, we've been rejected by investors that don't want to be associated with and retailers that have no interest in working with us. But at the end of the day, the fans that are associated with us, they're willing to go a lot further with us because of that. And I think that that's the power. And again, I always go back to Elon Musk. He's building three big businesses through being himself and 50% love him, 50% can't stand that guy. And he is a liability. Yeah. But his liability, I think, is, is outweighed by his, his ability to create hundreds of millions of organic views. It's crazy. Yeah. His name is brought up every single minute of the day. Yeah, we're talking about it now on a podcast. Could be free marketing for you. Don't sponsor us. X, <laughs> X has got to sponsor the boys here. That should be the next Elon sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Elon, maybe we'll send it to his, his team to watch. No, Anyways. but it's it's a good point. Like big business can't do small business. So I'm sure a lot of people ask you why can't Hershey's do what you're doing right now. 
and, I, and that's probably the response you'd say is they can't replicate the the grittiness they can't replicate the grind the lifestyle everything you've built so it's a scary game though because you're right they can't they can't do the nimbleness that all of us here are doing we're all different people like you people like you people like you they like the brand you're building the product you've built they like the product built. people can make good products okay yeah. but at the end of the day people can't can't copy the way you make others feel the way you guys make your customers feel, the way we make our customers feel is different than the way Hershey's does. Hershey's budgets, and I'm a fan of Hershey's, by the way. Don't get me wrong, we've had, our, we've had some stuff with them, but I am a fan of what they're, their legacy brand that built a nostalgic legacy confection brand is so hard to build a sizable brand that size. So you gotta give them credit. But what I will tell you is in today's world, people wanna feel more connected to brands. They're having a hard time wrapping that around. And the reason being is the corporate bureaucracy prevents creativity and innovation. What we all have is creativity and innovation. We have the ability to do it. So I hope that as you guys keep scaling your business, you don't lose that. Because if you lose that, then you're just like everyone else. Same thing with us. I see how process gets, no, gets, gets put into the business and process has to happen. You need process to scale. But the real winners, the big winners, the unicorn business that will build will be the people that do process while remaining creative and innovative and being able to do that stuff. Not too many people have accomplished that. Not too many brands have done it. Lululemon did it. Nike's done it over 40 years, in my opinion. But what new brands have really gone? Liquid Death's doing a decent job, to be honest with you. But how many other brands do we have? In, in cosmetic, maybe you see a lot more. But again, process will scale a business because there has to be quality assurance. There has to be safety. You have to have margin. You have to have your supply chain intact. That's boring infrastructural stuff that, again, Mondelez, Hershey's do extremely well. The second thing is is the creativity and how you make people feel. That's what we all do really well here. And I think that if we have a conversation in five years and we've lost it, then then shame on us. Because we know what will make us different. So why would we change that? Yeah, 100%. Is, is scaling the business directly correlated to scaling your community? I personally, speaking for myself, not for Midday Squares, I believe so. I believe that the more the community grows, the more a business will grow. Um, I'm also truly passionate about it myself because I'm working on that side. So like I work on it every second of the day. Um, but I don't think you necessarily need community. And I, I say this with caution. I don't think you necessarily need community to build a unicorn business because you could build a private label business without community or a commodity product without community. But you bet it on price, function, and you're doing it different, you're gonna win. But if you're building a brand like both of us are doing, I think community is gonna be a key factor in terms of passing the chasm of going from small to medium-sized, medium-sized to really large-sized business. Do you feel like, I think, I mean, uh, does the scaling community, at least for you, mean like, is that just more content? Is that a lot more output from your team? Or does that like, does that mean now getting even more creators under kind of the umbrella of Midday Squares? I think a we justify community building and growing is not through KPIs of followers and um, views. I think we modern in a qualitative perspective. And it's interesting It's because it, investors can't get around this, but... It's basically, do we make people feel something in the content that we create? Does the engagement, is it powerful? Is it, it, is it depth? Is there people just writing like a tick mark on it or a happy face or they're writing, thank you for doing this. It, made me, it, it makes me feel good. I relate to this. That's community. So we look at how does that expand? Does it get bigger? Does it get bigger? And at the same time, we're monitoring, at the same time, we're monitoring our retail sales. So we're seeing does the correlation of the viral video that we made mm. actually drive revenue up? Because at the end of the day, you still need to answer those questions to your board and stuff like that, right? So if I were to just tell you, oh, we made you feel something deeply, but revenue's dropping, 
they wouldn't continue letting us do what we're doing. So I think that that's a super, super thing is revenue increasing over time, but at the same time as your content, not about views, but about the depth of how people interact with it. Do you get more DMs? Are they more interactive? Do people want to be associate brand? Do they want to wear your, your company name? We're all wearing What's going on here? Are you guys out of your fucking mind? This is free marketing. There's cameras. You wear your brand. This I'm wearing is, this double is Dutch. This is why yeah, this is I'm wearing double Dutch. I could put on the glasses. I would too. No, so we're, we're learning I, a lot today. Yeah. <laughs> Let's no, get sunglasses. Yeah, no, sunglasses. Low key. A hidden gem and makes people remember you. Think mm. about like Ozzy Osbourne, the guy's out of his mind, but people remember that I'm look. Sold. Yeah, <laughs> glasses <laughs> next podcast episode. Yeah, next week. <laughs> but but scaling community, I don't I don't think it has to do with follower bases. And I think people look at it as Instagram followers, TikTok, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, or YouTube. I don't look at it like that. I think that I see brands with a million followers that get very low engaged people. They just are content. They're content machines. Yeah but content not making you feel. It's like promoting your product. Hey, like, oh, we have the best collagen in the game. Okay, great, that's that's amazing. But why do I really care about that? Like, why do I care to watch your content if you're just saying that you're the best collagen? I care a lot more to watch it for other reasons. I'll buy the product, because I love it, and it's a good fucking product. But to keep me interested as a fan, you need to make them actually feel emotionally connected. Just telling you good features and product, which is what Hershey's does in my opinion, doesn't keep a fan there. Right. I, I mean, I love, I absolutely love the passion you have for it, <coughs> but then like, how do you separate the the actual need from like certain retailers saying like, hey, you have to hit this velocity, right? Like you can go and create the content that obviously inspires your community or whatever it is, and that's amazing, but then you have to answer to, mm -hmm. you know, the buyers and the retailers, like how do you how do you separate those two emotions? So for retail, retail marketing, we do a little different. Um, so the organic content creates the community where we'll build fans in different cities. So let's say New York City. We have a good base here from social media. They've grown, they've actually supported us a lot here. So they'll go to the stores and buy the product, obviously, because they want to buy the product. But most importantly, if we see that a store needs a lot of push, we'll find, we like to look for moms that are in the better space, influencers, and we'll have them actually go shopping at the store while filming their experience, saying, hey, I'm a target, I'm going shopping. I just found Midday Squares, they're available here, I fucking love this, but we'll have them talk about the Midday Square in stories before, so that their following has seen the Midday Square naturally in their fridge at home, and they're in their hands eating. Then when they go to the store, they're guiding them where the product is in the store. So at Target, it's in the produce section, and they'll go to the produce section saying, oh my God, look where Midday Squares is, they have all this available, it's on promo today come, mm. that floods the store. And we're not talking about influencers just with billion, millions and billions of followers. I'm talking about people that have, that are like, they, they've trained their customers to be like the shop, sorry, customer followers to be like the shopping channel. They've trained over time, good quality content that made their fans trust their, their, their influence and buy products that they talk about. So we'll send people to retail rather than to our website. It's a big difference. That's how we drive it and the retailers are happy with that because like, wow, you're this content machine that's creating organic content that's driving natural awareness, which is driving people to your website, which is then getting people to press on the store locator to find a store. Then the second thing you're doing is you're pushing influential people that I respect, that they respect to the store to show an experience of their store and the products that they have. So it's a win for everybody. And we, we don't, like we tell them that that's our strategy and then we show them the revenue that changes. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about like I guess selection process for influencers. How do you guys decide who you want to work with? Cause like there's so many creators out there that obviously have some type of following. And even with TikTok, right? Like even in the beginning, people could go viral and like grow thousands of thousands of followers. But I feel like as now time has kind of go on, like 
it's it's tough and like the engagement rates have kind of dropped like it's tough to find a quality creator right so oh, what yeah. do you like what are you guys looking for we look for people we watch their content that in our community that we see them buying products from them so that they don't just flood products of like hey i've got this water bottle this coffee that all the time they show a lifestyle that people care to watch and then occasionally they're having the con they're actually having the, the actual products in them and mm -hmm. then they work with brands that we respect I think that that's one thing that we do and we watch their content for a while and we see if their content makes us feel something. Mm -hmm. We have a guy, um, he's a YouTuber and I don't want to expose him because people ever brown want to work with him after we can all talk about it. But this is a machine. Like this guy is an inspiring creator on YouTube and he drives a ton of revenue for us. He goes to stores, he goes shopping and it's authentic because he loved the product first. We, he found us by basically eating our product, reached out and wanted to work with us. And yeah, but that's why they go so much further with you, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now we work with him forever. Like it's every couple months we go and we just see his base is now our base. So like they're connected and he, the way he talks about it is not an ad. It's not like, hey, this coffee is so delicious, plant-based yeah. ingredients. Yeah. You know, scripty. Script, yeah. script, no, it's it's so in his lifestyle. It's part of his life. So that's who we do best with. Now again, comes back to build out loud. You find people find you, they try your product, they like it, they'll want to work with you. Same thing with talent when you're hiring people. They see your brand, they like it, they want to be part of your culture. So same thing goes for influencers. So we do that and then a little bit of our own searching of people that we just see that are, are local influencers and regions, and then we go work with them. But we've had some failures too, by the way. Crash, you know, influencers that did absolutely zero and or creators that did zero. And again, maybe the our product was the problem. Hmm. Maybe our product wasn't meant for their community. For them, yeah. So you don't blame them. Or maybe the the way that we worded the content and had them do it was too scripted or was too this. So you gotta play the game. It's an art. And I think a lot of people don't play the game. They just think, oh, let's have someone post an Instagram post, swipe up, that's that's all. That works occasionally, but you could do so much more with yeah. a little bit of care and effort and, and research. How do you structure those deals with influencers? Uh, my, my partner, Nick, does it. Shout yeah. out to you. Nick, if you're listening. <laughs> Shout out to you. He you're, better be listening. He's, he's, he's going to listen. So he's a wizard with that stuff. And he came from that background of ad tech and performance marketing. So he likes playing with that stuff. I look for more of the people I like to hang with. So like a lot of time, anyone that we work with long term, I'll actually go hang out with them. Because you also get to know who they are. Mm -hmm, true. And then again, you build a friendship. Mm -hmm. When you are friends with somebody, what do you do? You want to hang? You want to hang? You do a favor for them when they ask? You know, it's just, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Nothing should only be transactional. You should try relationship first, then transaction. If you do that, it's a powerhouse. And if you do transaction first, still try to do a relationship after because that relationship could take you a lot further than just having transaction. I would touch a little bit on, you kind of went into a little bit, like we've had some failures or we've had some lessons. Um, I'm sure you've sighed on the thing of nothing is a failure, everything's a learning. Um, but maybe if you can touch on a couple that's been maybe a little bit scary or too close for comfort um, and something that you've learned from it would love to whether it's on the business growth end or personal life end from business growth end June 2022 we did a UPC code change by the way if you're going to do UPC code change be very careful um, <laughs> I've messed that up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so UPC code change we thought it was like oh you change the code and then boom everything's fine we went from two square to one square and we upped the actual price by 27%. We did that all in one shot, removed some ingredients, did everything for our supply chain to optimize it because we were actually, we we're gonna go to business if we didn't change it. We were so fired up, we were doing like a million four in the, in the month before that. That month we were expected to do, we did the change so maybe 700,000 and then get back up to about a million, then a million four again. And suddenly we did the change and we shipped out a million five of product, great, fired up, 
then we started getting no sales. There was like no one coming back. Everyone was angry. <laughs> and we went to 400K and then 400K again. And we were like, what's going on? Did we just make the worst decision of our life? Then we found out that our barcode was too small to scan in store. So what was happening was people were trying to buy the product, it wouldn't scan. So what happens in a scenario like that is either the grocery cashier is a cashier either types in the nine digit or 10 digit code, which is very painful and time consuming, or they itemize it as a grocery item, which does not count as a midday square. What does that mean? That they'll never know if you're out of stock because it doesn't register out. Oh, so man. no one was reordering. We had out of stocks, no one reordered. Every customer was mad. The prices were higher. We ended up thinking that we bankrupt the company. We were about a month away from one more mistake that completely closed the company. And then we actually changed our team, our entire team, like kind of shifted out. And we then started to see the uplift come because we we stickered the packaging, we got the barcode back. And we started to actually come up and we realized that the decision was actually a great decision to go to the one square. They buy two squares at a time now at 249 per square rather than one package at 399. So it was a great decision in the end, but it took six months. We thought it would take two months. And that was a huge learning that we went through and almost bankrupt the company and the fighting, the chaos, I'll never forget. And what was unique about it was every retailer was mad at us. Customers were livid. And it was the first time we had both of those mad. And that was a scary moment. The second thing is this year I hurt my back playing hockey. And and I was in the, when that happened, I was in a very high stress life zone. I, was, I got engaged. I, I was on, I was in Forbes. I was doing TV, radio every week. I was having time in my life, to be honest with you. But my ego was kind of getting in the way and I was kind of like trying to not lose all this. I wanted to keep it going. And I'll never forget, I was playing hockey one night, fucking stressed as hell outside and I felt taking a wrist shot and I extended my back and I felt this horrible pain and it didn't go away. It kept coming back spasm, spasm. And I couldn't walk properly, I couldn't sit properly, electric shocks, MRIs, nothing was wrong, blah, blah, blah. Happened for three months and then finally I broke down completely. My whole life fell apart. And I realized that I don't know who I am anymore. I'm stressed as hell. I'm not happy about anything. I'm miserable. I can't move. I'm not mobile. I can't travel. I can't go be myself anymore. I've lost my identity. And if I can't be mobile, then who? I'm a useless person. So I burnt out completely. Took a month and a half sabbatical because I couldn't talk to people. I had to try. I go to like, I, I was mentally unwell. And the business was doing well, but I didn't give a shit. And I took a month and a half off. And this is where partners are really important in your business is that people that care about you and will support you. I went to 36 days in a row of therapy, in a row, to work through what I was going through, my identity crisis and a burnout, and, and not to know that I'm not identified by my physical body. I'm identified by who I am as a character and, 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 and the person I am. And coming to that was crazy realization. Then I slowly started coming back and then I got back to work and I'm still not perfect. Like, I'm injured still, but I'm getting there. Like I'm able to like, I'm here today in New Jersey. <laughs> so, and I, I fucking danced before. So <laughs> still, but, but I learned that burnout is a real thing, my friend. And I almost changed my whole life in that moment. I never felt low like that in my life. I would, didn't care to see friends. I didn't want to see family. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was not the Jake that everyone knows. And, um, yeah, dude, like, I don't know what's lower than that. I think lower than that, unfortunately, is, is is not being part of the world anymore. But I wasn't at that stage, but I, I didn't care to just sleep all day. I was like, I'll sleep all day. I'll, I'll, I'll just do nothing and wait for my, my fiance at the time to come home and, and then just complain. And I got out of that and I was like, holy shit, I let my, I let my body get there. And it was, it was four and a half years of just nonstop go. It wasn't the, the idea of the hockey injury that ruined me. It wasn't the injury shit, don't get me wrong, but it's the buildup of how much stress I put on myself over four and a half years and trying to trying to be perfect, trying to be the best, trying to accomplish so much. And putting that pressure was hard, it builds up in your body. The stress builds up. Taking 140 flights in a year is out of your, not fucking normal. Like I did that last year. That's wild. 
140. Insane. And then, so those are two moments, a personal moment and then a business moment that, again, almost destroyed me personally and then almost destroyed our business. Learn from both of them. Hey guys, we're gonna take a quick break from the episode to analyze some of our top performing ads in our ad account. A lot of people have been asking me, what have you been running, statics, videos? Well, I'm gonna show you our top performing ads utilizing a platform called Motion, which pretty much analyzes all the data of all of our top performing creatives, ROAS, by spend, by CTR, CPCs, everything. So check it out. What's going on guys? Today we will be reviewing some of our top performing creatives in our ad account that have spent over the last 90 days. Uh, we will be analyzing why I think these creatives are working, what I'm going to do to create iterations, and hopefully you can take this feedback and utilize some of our templates for some of the ads in your own ad account. So let's get into it. Uh, the way that I like to pretty much visualize and analyze what's going on in our ad account, uh, you may notice this app or maybe have seen it before, but it's called Motion. It allows us to pull you know, all of our data and help us visualize what's going on, right? So I like to look at spend levels, the return on ad spend, our CPAs and our AOVs. Uh, Motion just makes that super easy to, to visually uh, take a look at the data and, and analyze it. So let's get into the first creative. This one's super interesting and super easy to create. Uh, I like to call this the community slash review ad. Essentially, you're taking any social proof from your brand and turning it into an ad. So the reason I think this works, right? If anybody looks at this, they'll probably think, oh, this is way too much text. Nobody's really gonna read this or they'll, they'll scroll on by, right? Um, this is actually an iteration of a first time try. So our first time try was quite literally taking the review and putting it on an ad and just running it then we realized, okay, it's kind of like a mid-performer, low-performer, but the the idea still makes sense, right? It, it's showcasing the show, social proof, and um, in theory, it should work, right? So what we ended up doing is the next iteration, which is this, is that we actually highlighted the key pieces uh, from the review, right? So I absolutely love the burn. What's the burn? Lose weight. Okay, this is something around weight loss. Size 16 to a size 10. Oh, solid results. Uh, thanks for my life back, Avi, right? So now I understand, okay, this is a brand. Then we have a few more elements on the on the ad, which is a render of the bottle, so you know exactly what that person is talking about. 90-day guarantee, so there's a little bit more of, uh, oh, okay, I, I, can, I can check this out, and you know, if, if it doesn't work, I can get my money back. Um, but yes, this is a iteration of a mid-performing ad and is now one of our top performers in the ad account. I don't think this one is difficult to recreate, the, in terms of iterations, what I'd probably probably do is uh, go through our community, go through our reviews, and find similar reviews that perhaps maybe call out a very specific reason, right? So this is a little bit more general around weight loss, but what I would find is reviews that are, are, are centered around very specific problems, right? So one of our uh, customers' top problems in terms of uh, weight loss or gaining weight is because of uh, menopause or PCOS. So I might go and look for specific reviews around people who had POS and how that helped them, right? So that becomes angle A, or maybe something around um, uh, thyroid issues or, or the next one being, you know, just sedimentary lifestyle. So there's so many different ways I can expand all this as well as hit different angles. So going through your reviews and community posts is, is key for literally anything, but to create ads based off of it is a cheat code. So definitely scan through, uh, definitely pull out the top performing ones and turn them into ads, but make sure that you're not just copying pasting, but making it visually appealing so that it's easy to digest. So hopefully this helps. Uh, take this one back into your ad account and let me know how it performs for you. If you're looking to sign up for Motion, click the link in the description for a special offer today. Now, 
let's get back to the episode. You guys have built a really, really strong team. You kind of mentioned that you've, you've kind of shifted out the team. You guys probably have some sort of culture of hire fast, fire faster. Yep. Um, but this is probably something you guys had to learn too, like building big teams and finding good talent. Um, can you touch a little bit on that? I know this is more like even just a personal question because like we're always in midst like, how do we like just invest in better people? But then like the salaries are higher. So it's like, how do you justify it? Um, and then like, how do you how, like just team building concept? So first off, um, we have a high turnover. Um, I think one of the highest turnovers in like people, when we tell like people in Montreal, like that have other businesses, they're like, you guys are that, you guys are that many people. And I'm actually proud of it in the sense of why I'm proud of it is because the turnover is high because we try to protect the culture. So we protect the people that work there, our family that we call our family. And the reason why we call them that is because if you have somebody that's not good energy or not the right fit for your company, the danger and cancer it can cause and spread is very quickly through an organization, especially if we're 65 people, it could pass really quickly. And I think that, that our team knows that we won't keep that is a powerful cultural boost. And that even if it's a hard conversation and we have to remove it, we will remove it. That being said, we've made horrible hires and we've kept them a little too long where it cost us that UPC code issue was somebody on our team was not, in my opinion, experienced, I'm going to use it, be very polite, experienced to deal with a scenario like that. And it damaged the brand a lot more, you know, and we had an issue with the quality ones, didn't have the right person in place. Guess what? It took four weeks of time and energy of other people to figure this out. And almost, you know, resources went down costs. It's a disaster. So if you don't hire the right talent and take the time to hire people that you know will fit your culture, you're in trouble if you don't get those people. We hired a CFO and a VP of ops recently, both executive positions, get paid more than Leslie, Nick and I. Um, but we, have, listen, as an entrepreneur, you get paid last, right? <laughs> um, and you gotta be okay with, with being fed last. Yep. But, and I'm okay with that and I'm, I'm totally fine. They're worth every dollar. They're amazing at what they do. But when they came in, we saw what talent is. We saw how powerful talent can be for a business and how powerful it can be to growing your business, taking stress off certain things and letting you go into your strength of your skill. These two people and other people that we've had that they've hired have changed the business for us. Now we're in a rhythm where we have a better system. At first we were the worst people hiring and also geographically in Montreal, it's a lot harder to bring talent there because people don't want to learn the language French, unfortunately. Right. So people don't want to learn it. And so bringing a US citizen in, they don't want to come, even if you pay an arm and a leg. So it's been a lot, it's been very tough, but I think again, build a culture, find the right people for your culture and that's authentic to it. Don't hire somebody that is opposite of your culture because at the end of the day, it's gonna be an uncomfortable situation. They're not gonna wanna be there. And I always tell people, there's no gun to your head. The door's always open. You can leave when you want. Just, just leave if you wanna leave. Don't wait it out because you're just gonna hurt the business more, right? And we have an alumni wall in our office where it's kinda of like the PayPal mafia. Hopefully we'll be able to build a mafia like that. But um, we want them to go win. And yeah. people that leave our company or that have, we fire that we respect, um, it just wasn't the right fit maybe, we put them on the wall and we wanna celebrate them because they're gonna go and do amazing things too. And that's our culture, that's the vibe. But again, it's our, I think it's still our kryptonite that we're not perfect at hiring. And to find those two really experienced people that were talented and really made a difference took years. So if you guys have advice, let us know, to be honest with me. Like, <laughs> well, why do you feel like it took years? <laughs> because we tried recruiters, we tried 
um, we tried everyone. And one strategy we did that worked was, I don't know if it's legal in the US, but, <laughs> but we made everybody that, did, that we felt that was actually passing the first initial screening make a video that they had to send into us with weird questions. And like, we wanted to see their personality of mm -hmm. who they are and if they would do it, because we are a media first company, meaning yeah. that everything is filmed all the time. If you're not comfortable with that, it's midday scores is not for you. You could be the best CPG president operator in the world. We won't bring you in if you can't understand that. Yeah. So most people will actually not do the video and say, this is so stupid. Why would I do it? Boom, out, weed it out. We know we're not gonna fit for us. People that do do it, believe in what we're doing. So it so kind of guides it a little bit. So you make them do a little pivot that yeah. is a little off-putting. Almost make them a little bit uncomfortable. Boom. Yeah. In the right, in the nicest in the, in way, the, respectful yeah. way possible, right? right? And and I think that that's helped us find talent or people that want to be part of this vision. Makes sense. Even the the sixty-five-year-old ops legend, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sharif, you motherfucker, you are a legend. <laughs> your calmness, your ability to execute is inspiring, and we're learning from him. Good know, job, from, Sharif. We gotta clip that out and give that to Sharif. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely gotta send me that because that's too good. He's gonna be too fired up. You know? it, it makes a difference, yeah. seriously, and. Um, I wish we can keep getting better at it and learning. My sister takes care of most of the hiring, but it's draining too for her. She goes through hundreds of people and just going through until you find that you, your gut knows when it's the right person. You know, you feel it. And it's also your ability as a leader to give the right onboarding. Like I yeah. know it's expensive and time consuming, but if you give the right onboarding, you can give them the right runway to actually operate. If you give them the wrong onboarding and it's the right fit, you're gonna lose a great person. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's also draining sometimes though, because let's say you've done everything right. You know, you've given them the right onboarding, you've put all this time into them and then it still doesn't work out. And oh, it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, oh, I got to get back out there and do well, this whole depressing. process again. Yeah, it's, it's depressing. It's exhausting. <laughs> so it's the worst. <laughs> I stopped hiring. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this is a common issue. This is, we all get exhausted yeah. by this. And it's hard to find good people. Like, look at you guys. Like you guys came together. You guys are good people. You don't just find good people. Like, unfortunately, our world is not incentivized to 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 give it their all for something that's not theirs. Yeah. It's yours right now. But we're lucky to have found people in our company that that are there to build this vision because they truly want to be there and want to be part of this crazy roller coaster. And their work actually means something on this roller coaster. It's important that you as leaders make them feel that way as well, because someone that gets us into our VP of we call him VP of Revenue. He has these case studies that he does and the effort that he's doing is insane. And the work that's making a difference is allowing me to share the content and get it everywhere. Without him, I can't do that. Right. I can't get it to Target. I can't get it to front of the Walmart's face. So I always tell him, like, brother, if I don't have you, man, I can't do my job. Hmm. You're a fucking machine. And look, and then yeah. when something happens, okay, this isn't me. Someone will say, congrats, Jake and the company. It ain't me. <laughs> it's that person. Yeah. So that's an important thing to keep your culture moving in a, in a, in a correct decision because people deserve what they deserve. People deserve the recognition that they do. Yeah. And I think that a lot of businesses and startups and small businesses forget to do it because everything's moving so quickly. Th those little compliments or that recognition, that means a lot for them just to let them know that they're doing their job right. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Like when someone tells we me- We love it too, yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, fuck, let's all go. <laughs> but you, gotta, you can't get carried away with the happy-go-lucky thing too. Like, yeah. you know, like, like, like your pants look good. Yeah, how many times am I gonna tell you that? You know? Yeah, like, it's like enough, man. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, like, like, like you look like you just partied for five days. <laughs> That's a better way of saying it. This guy's tired. No, I'm kidding. Uh, 
No, that's true. Um, one one other just piece on like when it comes to going back to your product real quick, you guys have been like really careful with flavor launches. Yep. I think I don't even think you've had to skew rationalize because it's not like you've launched much. No. Um, and I think that's probably kept you to be able to be really focused. But then I'm sure that maybe investors or other people are like, dude, you can launch like 10 more flavors, 10 more things and get to 50 million in the next like 18 months. Um, what's who's who's the the person that's like, no, we're my not sister. Doing this. So he was ready to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> She's very specific on this. So here's the deal. We have focus right now, which you're right. And we just block out the noise. There is a lot of noise regarding launch more products. Customers say it and they're not doing it with bad intentions. It's just, we want more flavors. We want to try something new. We want, we've been eating the product, you know, I get it. So you get a cookie dough. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> exactly. But I get it. It's fucking hard to launch a fucking flavor. That's great. If you want to launch something epic, it takes time to R and D it. it. Takes time to get it on your line. Your margins have to be okay with it. Your supply chain has to be good. It's not just, you know, let's launch this and, 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 and kiss it and it's all that done. So. It takes us like a year typically to launch a, comp a product. Um, we don't want to be the brands that have 25 SKUs. We want to be known for tight SKU count like Gatorade did originally. Mm -hmm. um, we respect that model a lot. And it's not to say that we won't do multi-packs down the line and things like that, but we always re we are always iterating the actual current flavors. So we're working our cookie dough, even though we launched it five months ago, we're still working on it every day and launching a new one, believe it or not, all the time. Wow. And we're launching a new peanut butter one all the time. And we're, we're actually renovating our brownie batter and our almond crunch not to be more nostalgic. But there are teams working on that because we know that we have a base already there. Yeah. So let's just give them the product. And if we can continue to every day to focus on trying to make it better and more optimized for our business, then we're winning. But if we were to continue to focus on new flavors, we can never optimize it, we don't have time. So we always tell our investors or people that do say that, listen, we'll hit these revenue goals in a little bit longer time, but it will be more depth. We'll be more known. We'll be more foundationally strong because we don't have to start taking products off the shelf, changing. Next thing you know, you have more allergens, you have more this. It becomes a little bit more complex. And right now our team, we own our manufacturers, so you have to do it yourself. So you have to train your teams. You have to do things. Yeah. Different flavors take different things, right? So it's a lot of moving pieces until we have the right team fully. We're not doing anything like that. Is it also because like most of your business is retail, so launching new SKUs in the retail is probably a lot more, it's not like D to C where we can just launch a SKU and you know, tomorrow it's there and next week it's yep. gone. Yeah. Um, retail is probably, you have to forecast everything. It's a lot everything, harder, yeah. forecast ingredients, forecast everything. So that's why retail, that's why we're 70% retail business. So you gotta imagine, we, we gotta know, and trust me, if they pull it off the shelf and they don't trust, they, they see your shit, it's a shit product, mm. the retailer gets rattled. Yeah. Don't think that they get, they don't, they give you shit. Yeah. And guess what? It, it hinders their opinion on the next one. Right. So you got to build the trust in a very delicate way at retail because if you have a power player hitter that's doing really well, that's what they care about. But if you have shit players you keep launching after that, it, so it changes the game, by the way. The yeah. amount of merchandise they'll give you, the amount of thoughts you're called certain. It's a whole game. And a lot of companies just chase revenue. Don't chase revenue. Build foundationally strong products that people actually care about and want to continue buying. How do you guys optimize the, the product? Is this based off of feedback from community, retailers, internal? What does that look like? A lot of internal and community. That's where it's coming from. We hear feedback. We find that maybe we don't like the product as much anymore. So our team will then start working on something or we'll find something cool to add in and then we'll put it in and we'll test it out. But again, there's a lot of noise, man, with all this shit. There's so much noise. So you, if you listen to everything, you ain't gonna go nowhere. Yeah. And you have to just put your horse blinders on, stay quite focused on what you do great and continue to do that. And how do retailers feel about you guys changing things? 
Well, we don't change it enough to do a UPC code change. Small so changes, it's yeah. small changes that are actually making the product hopefully better. better. So we tell them that we're enhancing the consumer experience. Do they do they want to be involved at all? Like, no. oh, let's Some test do. it or yeah. whatever. Some want us to help. They want us to launch a certain flavor. Yeah. But again, you got to balance a fine line with that yeah. because you start doing it for one, you're doing it for others, yeah. and like you got to be a fair company you got to you can't just favor certain retailers yes some that do better than you and some do better than the others and you can give them more resources because they have more market cap for what you're doing but at the end of the day if i do a whole foods product and then you know sprouts calls me and says what the fuck sprouts was before whole foods like you got to be a very it's a very mm -hmm. dangerous game to get into people relationships yeah, yeah you start damaging it the right. respect starts to disappear you're not promising exclusives to anybody never. no never exclusive we had set one of our big retailers say, we'll only take the cookie dough nationally if you promise an exclusive. And we said, really? So we said no, and we didn't, didn't take it. Now they're taking it. Damn. <laughs> there you go. Still love them as a retailer, but they, they, they tried for the exclusive. And you don't yeah. you don't just give the exclusive. At least no. they're shooting their shot. Yeah, I, listen, I respect the ask, but but then do the ask and then help us out right away. Like, you know, don't don't just wait. They have to wait for, they saw a lot of other brands, other, other retailers doing well with it, so they took it. Um, so for you guys are, you know, primarily retail focused. I think you guys said seventy percent, right? Yeah. Um, you guys have such a strong organic presence that a lot of like DTC brands, like DTC only brands, don't even have. So is there going to be a focus towards DTC in the future? Do you feel like this is just a retail only product? Because I mean, uh, even for us, like building organic would fuel you know, our paid efforts and things like that. And you guys already nailed it. So why not go the other route too? Great question. D2C is powerful for us. It's still 30%. Um, shipping refrigerated chocolates are hard. It's, gotcha. it's very hard. Um, the prices are whack on shipping. We haven't optimized that. Until we optimize that, there's no reason to push it more. Um, but yeah, you're right. We could probably make this a 50-50 business if we wanted to. Uh, the content's there. We have yeah. it. We get the views, right? But we don't direct the views typically to the retail, to the, what, to the D2C side. We, do, we direct it to retail or just to brand awareness. Um, yeah, I think down the line, if we could figure out a, a, an outbound freight method that that makes sense, then yeah, why not play around a little bit more? Because it's a no-brainer. You could we could use it as a lever always. If we're down revenue, we have a lever where we could press, and it, the D2C will pump up. But our retail is actually more profitable right now than D2C. Do you guys um, find a way to get any of these retail buyers into your ecosystem, like? emails, phone numbers, this and that to kind of market we, to them or not? Never intentionally, but hopefully they are part of it because yeah. we do do a good amount of emails and stuff like that, but they're not, they definitely follow us on social media, which is the key is to get them associated with <laughs> and they, they really get to know us as people. Um, and then they either like us or dislike us, but we hope that they like us because it makes a big difference. But we've seen a retailer just not like us, like a buyer just didn't, didn't want to talk to us and wouldn't talk to us and it affected our whole account. And um, I think one thing that's like the hardest to do at the end of epi every episode is what's one thing that you would want viewers to kind of take away, chew on, uh, from besides pretty much a, besides a midday square <laughs> <laughs> besides a midday square one thing to really chew on and, and kind of implement in their business starting today start to think like a producer rather than a marketer I think that's the key and what I mean by that is go study Hollywood go study TV shows go study um, keeping up the Kardashians go study Shark Tank what you'll learn is how they storytell how they utilize content to actually sell other things, to actually sell advertisements, stuff like that. But they're building fans. Go watch the Last Dance docuseries on Michael Jordan and the Bulls and the 90s Bulls. It is literally a Jordan brand push. It's You, you watch them, you want to buy Jordan shoes. 
because the story is so powerful. So if I can leave you with that, understanding that building out loud and telling the story is powerful for any business, whether you're cosmetic, food, beverage, um, fashion, go out and learn how to tell a story and study the best and, and bring it back to your business. Love it. Chew on that. Chew on that. Chew on that. <laughs> if you want more from us, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok, and check out the website, chewonthis.io.